Let's just pray again uh, quickly. Father God, thank you that you do love us and that you do to us. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be the people that you have made us to be. Lord, to live out of the truth of who you say we are. Lord, with every decision that we make, every thought that we think, every word that we say, every thing that we do, to be kingdom people. Lord, thank you that you, as, as we found out last week, you are the one who chooses the weak things of this world. You choose those who are not much to make much of, because you are right and you are good. Lord, we come not because we are worthy of your grace, we come not because we are worthy of your kindness, we come not because, because we deserve for you to speak to us, but, but we come because that's who you are. We come, Lord, this morning as saints and sinners. We come as sinners saints. We will become less sinners and more saints than all your goodness. Lord, we come as your broken people to the only one who can be feeling in life. We come because we want to be your church. We want to be your church as you say we are. We want to be your people as you say we are. Oh Lord, speak to us. Oh Jesus, it's so easy for me to just start some words and to not settle in my heart or the hearts of any of the people here. Don't let that happen. Father, by your Holy Spirit, don't let that happen. Let, let your words be powerful into us. Not just, not just settling us, but etch into us in how we make our decisions and how we think and how we act and who we are. Change us, Lord, and renew our minds as we, as we hear what you said, Jesus. Father, we glorify Holy Spirit speaking. Act in this place today, we pray. Jesus, would you be honored? Would you, would you be honored? Father, thank you that it's all about who you are. So, as Pam said, we are continuing our series through the uh, Sermon on the Mount. Uh, well, actually, it's part of a larger series that we're actually doing on uh, the Kingdom of God. You might remember we've been doing the Kingdom of God for, well, quite some time, since before Christmas last year. In fact, you can even make a case that we've been doing the Kingdom of God ever since you first walked into this church, because the Gospel is that the Kingdom of God is near. Everything in the Bible is about God being king and God's plan to bring everything, as we learned at youth group, under the authority of Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God our Father. And we saw last week in the Beatitudes, uh, Matthew chapter 5, a very famous passage, we saw that, that those that God blesses aren't the ones you expect. It's not those who are religiously elite it's not those who have got it all together. It's not those who... It's, it's, it's just not those you expect. The ones that Jesus calls blessed, well, it's, it's the everyday common folk. It's you and I. It's, it's those who go, well, God, I'm not sure I actually deserve to stand in your presence. And God says, wow, when the kingdom of God comes, I'm turning things upside down. 
which happens to turn them right way up because sin turned things upside down. The kingdom of God comes and turns things upside down and suddenly those who are poor in spirit or, or those who are meek and, and, and don't say anything or, or those who, who, um, who hunger and thirst for righteousness or, or all those who are pure in heart, all those who are persecuted, suddenly the kingdom of God comes and Jesus says, no matter who you are, when God's kingdom comes onto your life, you are made favored by God. God loves you. God blesses you. Isn't that good news? That's wonderful. And in other words, God's blessing rests on everyone who is impacted by the kingdom of heaven. Anyone who is impacted by the kingdom of heaven has their life turned upside down. And, and remember, Jesus is not just spouting a few random sayings off for someone to write down. He's, he's actually sitting there on a, well, we call it the Sermon on the Mount, but it's probably more of a hill, because they don't really have mountains there. They've got 800 meters stuff, but I'm not sure that counts as a mountain. They're sitting, regardless, the point is he's sitting down. And in front of him are his disciples, and there's a large crowd around him. And when Jesus was speaking to those crowds, saying, Hey, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the meek, blessed, blessed are those who are persecuted, blessed are those who are, who are persecuted and insulted and, and treated like dirt for taking up with me, Jesus isn't just speaking about some person out there, he's speaking about the people right in front of him. Matthew, just before the sermon, tells us that Jesus was, was teaching and preaching and healing people. These are people who have been touched by the kingdom of God. They've experienced something of the kingdom of God. And Jesus has turned to them and said, yes, 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 you, even you are blessed. And then he keeps on talking to the same bunch of people. And he says some incredible things about them. About how they, blessed by God, are going to have an impact on the world in which they live. Uh, he says to them, you guys, you are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Uh, just turn to your neighbor quickly and, and just say, what does it mean for someone to be salt and light? Just turn to your neighbor, have just two minutes. What does it mean for someone to be salt or light? What does it mean for someone to be salt and light? Okay. You got ten seconds. Five. Mate, you've got to rush quickly. Three, two... Okay, have we got it? Just hands up if you know what it means to be salt and light. Wonderful. Pam, over to you. <laughs> um, salt and pepper. That's terrible. What is it that qualifies the crowds sitting around Jesus to be salt and light? It, it's certainly not some innate quality that they all possess within themselves. 
The point of the Beatitudes is that God comes and takes the weak of the world and turns them upside down. Paul says the same thing in one of his letters. Jesus says that the common people, the people blessed and and impacted by the kingdom of God, make life better. Because as they live from the kingdom, as they live out of who the kingdom has made them to be when it impacted on their lives, as they live the kingdom life, they make life better. So, first off, Jesus starts and says, you are the salt of the earth. You are salty disciples. Jesus says those who are blessed by the kingdom. That's who he's speaking about when he says you are. And if I went around and asked you what does it mean to be salty, we might get a few different answers. And this is one of the uh, frustrating things about what Jesus says here because he doesn't explain what he means. One of the problems with salt is, salt is incredibly useful. If, if you come from South Africa, or if you have any culinary good taste, you will have had a dead cow that's been left in salt for a while, hung up to dry, until you almost break your teeth when you bite it. It's called biltong. You might have had the cheap imitation, which is called jerky. <laughs> um, salted meat. We, we do that because it preserves it. It stops the natural decay of food. And, and I think we can argue that, that Jesus is saying those who are living from the kingdom have that kind of impact on the world. They, they, they are a restraint against the world decaying, which is its natural tendency. But you can also use salt in very small quantities, apparently, as a fertilizer in certain kinds of soil. Don't go and pour salt in your gardens. If you, if you do that wrongly, it'll destroy everything. Um, there are some plants. Anyway, that's the wrong thing. Uh, ask me about there are some plants that you can grow with lots of salt. Um, you can use it. Well, you have to have salt in your diet, don't you? If you don't have enough salt in your diet, you're going to, you're going to die. Uh, us humans tend to put salt in our diet through uh, potato crisps. Um, animals, you have to give them salt licks because we need sodium chloride in our, in our diet. It's, and perhaps that's, perhaps that's what Jesus is getting at. If, if we take all the different uses of salt, something that adds value to the, to the world, something that prevents decay, something that's necessary for life, perhaps Jesus is simply saying that salt is vitally important. And he's looking at the kingdom people, people who have been impacted by the kingdom, and he's saying to them, you are vitally important for this world, for this earth. You are necessary for the earth's welfare. And God's people are salt because they they live the life of the kingdom. They live God's way. Jesus is going to teach us to pray in a few in a few uh, chapters, uh, he's going to teach us and say, uh, Our Father who is in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, Jesus teaches this same crowd of people to say, God, we want to live your way. May what you want to happen, happen. Not just on, on the earth, but if we say that, we've got to speak about ourselves as well. 
And when people of God live like that, they not only live their own lives, but, but in doing so, they challenge the world around them to live God's way. That's one of the reasons Jesus says you are the salt of the earth, because as salt we stand and we say, I'm going to live this way, and as we live that way, we are testifying to the world, this is how God wants the world to be. When we speak God's love and God's truth to the world. I forget who, who said it. I read it in one of the, the things I read in preparation for today. But uh, you know what the chemical formula for salt is? Table salt. NaCl, sodium chloride. Um, now if you take uh, sodium by itself, Na, um, apparently, I, I'm no chemist, but apparently sodium is, is very reactive. It loves bonding with other elements. So you put sodium and it bonds. Uh, I believe sodium is one of those that you don't drop into water because it loves bonding to things and it does it explosively. Um, I think it's sodium that they used to throw in the toilets when I was at school. It, uh, it has a habit of ruining the porcelain. Sodium easily makes links with whatever it wants to link with, whatever is around and if we love people without the truth, if we love them and just accept whatever, well, that doesn't result in God's will being done. Chlorine is the other component of table salt. And I'm going a little bit beyond what Jesus is saying, but I think it's, it's handy for us here. So you've got sodium, uh, which we're linking to love, which by itself doesn't result in God's will being done. Chlorine, you, you know what chlorine is good for? Swimming pools, cleaning. Or killing people. Sad as it is, chlorine gas is a poison. You don't want it. And unfortunately, so often us Christians are very good at being chlorine in the world. We speak the truth. And we knock people down and we destroy them and we go, Ha! God hates you when you do that. Maybe we don't say God hates you, but we say... That is evil. That is wrong. Ah, I want nothing to do with you. Be gone. Some of you are looking, I never act like that. But we do, don't we? Just with a look. We see someone and we go, oh. Or we walk to the other side of the road. Or we, or we say something. And it's not loving. And when we present truth without love, that also doesn't result in God's will being done because God is love. What we need is to be the salt of the world, the salt of the earth. Truth and love coming together. Living out what is right and gently highlighting the good in this world. Luther, um, the uh, reformer, put it well. He said, salt isn't salt for itself. You know when you go home this afternoon and you're about to have lunch, you get some salt on your plate and then oh just to make it that little bit better you put some salt on top of the salt. Isn't that nice? Isn't that stupid? Salt isn't for salt. Being salt is not so that I can go and go. Hey John, 98% pure salt me, hey hey. And John goes, well that's nice, I'm 98 five. Salt is for the earth. When you use salt, you put it on something else. It benefits 
something else. And as we live our lives, as we follow Jesus, as we live uh, His way, uh, truth with love, we're, we're supposed to be benefiting the world. Tim Keller, I think, tells a story of when he puts salt on his corn on the cob. He enjoys it tremendously, but afterwards he doesn't go, Mmm, that was some good salt. Of course he doesn't. He says, Wow, I love that sweet corn. That's what salt is meant to do. Tim Keller says, Salt doesn't draw attention to itself, and when it does, this is me saying, if you have just a tablespoon of salt, it tastes pretty horrible. But what salt does is to make something bland taste amazing. But you don't love the salt, unless you're slightly mad like me, who has too much salt. What, what you love is the food. And I love this quote. He says, salt makes you feel better about life. Christians make you feel better about life. But religious people always make you feel condemned and they make you feel worse. Isn't that true? Isn't it sad that I can look back in my life and go, wow, how many people have I made life better for? Or how many people have, when I have left the room, felt condemned by me or by you? And Jesus has got this thing where he speaks about uh, salt losing its saltiness. Uh, what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? Um, one of the problems with, with, with that comment that we have with it is that sodium chloride, salt, is it's a very stable compound. It doesn't lose its saltiness. And there's all sorts of arguments about what Jesus meant there, but, but one that I like is, is that perhaps the salt wasn't pure. So one of the sources of salt back in those days was apparently the Dead Sea. And you know how we still make salt today. Uh, you, you get some water and you evaporate it and the salt makes crystals and kind of like that. You scrape it together and then you dry it and then you eat your salt. Um, they do that at the Dead Sea, or they did that at the Dead Sea, but uh, one of the problems with the Dead Sea is that not only is there sodium chloride in there, there's also a little thing called gypsum dissolved in the water. You might know gypsum better as drywall or plasterboard. In fact, I believe they still have a, a plant producing the stuff at the Dead Sea until quite recently, perhaps even still today. Um, so you might dry the water, get this beautiful white powder, and store it somewhere safe. And you put it on your food, it tastes salty. The problem with salt is it can leach out. So just imagine some water gets in and all of the salt leaches out, and you're left still with a pile of slightly smaller white powder. And you get out your chicken burger and you go and you pour some granulated plasterboard on top and you take it. I would throw that pile of salt out and people would walk on it. That would be horrible. Wouldn't be any use as salt. Which is what, which is what religious people and... That's what religious people can make you feel like, isn't it? Like you're eating plastic. 
will take the joy out of life. People living from the kingdom, however, don't take the joy out of life. They make life better. And, and exactly how that works, Jesus has got several more chapters to explain. How we live as Christians will have an impact for the better on our world, but if we are simply there with the appearance of it, if, it, if it's just from without, we can make life worse. If what we're living isn't salty, if it's just impurities, or if there's just a surface layer, a veneer on top of us, people will spit it out. And we have to ask ourselves, am I salt? Or do I just have a sprinkling of salt over me? Do I... Do, do, I, do I look the right color? We can be religious, we can pray well, we can present well, we can seem salty. But are we salt? And this is a challenge because quite often we look at our lives and we go, wow, there's a lot of plasterboard in there. There's a lot that's not salty in there. And yet it is to us that Jesus turns and says, you are the salt of the earth. And it's not because Jesus has got a really fantastic high-powered microscope that he looks in and says, wow, okay, yeah, I, I see you've got, you've got a lot of sodium chloride in you. You need to cut back for your heart health, but that's fine, I'm going to use you. No, it, it's that when Jesus comes and his kingdom impacts upon us, he starts transforming us. So that we are salt. He starts renewing us so that we are salt. It's not because we naturally are. It's because the kingdom of God has broken into us and done something to change us. And so if I look at my life and I go, Lord, there's a lot of gypsum. What I've got to be doing is not just saying, oh, well. But I, I, I should be turning to Jesus and going, Jesus, I want to be salt. You say I'm salt. Would you do the transformation? You know, the alchemists of old wanted to transform lead into gold. Uh, and they failed because they didn't have a large hadron collider. Which we can now transform lead into gold, but it would take the age of the universe to get a grab. But the amazing thing is that God can transform the gypsum, the impurities within us, into salt. That's what the kingdom does. And as the kingdom does that to us, we then are put into the world and we start transforming the state of the world. I become the salt of the earth by being blessed by the kingdom, by believing the good news, by trusting in Jesus, and saying, Jesus, I want to live your life. You are the salt of the earth. And Jesus turns to these same people and he says, you are delightful disciples. You are the light of the world. Because of what God and His kingdom have done in us. Have a look at uh, Ephesians. If you've got your Bibles there. Uh, chapter 5. Uh, verses 8 to 9. Once you were full of darkness. Says Paul. But now you have light from the Lord. So live as people of light. For this light within you produces only what is good 
and right and true and carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. If you're light, you can't help but expose the darkness. It is shameful even to talk about the things that ungodly people do in secret, but their evil intentions will be exposed when the light shines on them, for the light makes everything visible. This is why it's said, Awake, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Awake, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. In other words, when you go to Jesus, He gives you light. In the darkness, light is incredibly powerful. We see the light from stars that have been there for billions of years. It's incredible to look and go, wow! The the astronomers tell us that some of the stars that we're seeing today are, are probably dead right now. At the speed of light... They would have imploded ages ago. Even here, if, if you go out of the city just a little bit and you travel into the distance and you look back towards the city, even Rockingham, you can tell where the city is because there's this electric glow over it all. The light kind of just is there and you get a cloudy day and it reflects off the clouds. It's an incredible thing. Now imagine living in a place where there was no electrical light. And you know how your eyes adjust to the darkness? Uh, and and if, you're, if you've been walking through the dark for ages, and you see there in the distance, high up is this light, it's just this incredible thing. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Jesus is saying... His followers cannot be hidden. The light of the kingdom shining in us and through us cannot help be seen. And we don't light a torch and put it under a basket. And like salt, light isn't for itself, it's for the world. Uh, You shine to expose, but you also shine so that people don't stumble. You shine so that people can see how good our Father is. In fact, Jesus says... Uh, do your good deeds so that others will see them. In other words, what he's saying when he says you're the light of the world, what does that look like? Well, that looks like us living our lives the way Jesus lives his life. That, that looks like us doing good deeds. Acting like Jesus. Not so that people will look at me and go, wow, that looks incredible. Satan loves us when we think that. But it's not about us. It's about God. So people will look and say, Wow! Who is it that they are living for? Um, There's a great movie called The Inn of the Six Happiness. Gladys Aylward. Have you seen the movie? I haven't seen it for a while. It's a great story. I highly recommend it. It's about a missionary lady who is told, I think she's too old and too female to go as a missionary to China. And she decides, well, she's going anyway. (laughs) And she ends up this amazing story. But right at the end, as the Japanese are about to invade, um, I read about this and I was reminded of what happens. The Mandarin, the guy in charge, 
gets up and says, and says to her, I want to become a Christian. I want to share the faith from which your strength comes. Because of what she did. She shone a light and, and it was the most amazing thing. Why would he decide now he's becoming a Christian? Not because she won him over with a fantastic argument for the existence of God. But just because of how she lived. And he saw her good deeds and he came to praise her father. Isn't that a great story? Wouldn't that be a wonderful story for us to be able to tell about our lives? Oh God, make us light. As it doesn't, doesn't have to be a dramatic thing. It's just how we live. It, it's about God transforming our daily activity so that we will live to the praise of our Father. When people are rude to us, when people attack us, when people hurt us, how do we live? When, when life is good, how do we live? Are we rude? Are we disrespectful? Are we lewd? Are we arrogant? Or do we show the fruit of the Spirit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control? How do we live our lives? And, and I can't manufacture the Jesus look. Trust me, I've tried. It, it, it's good for a while and then the dusting comes off. But, but we can't spend time with God. We can't say, God, would you transform me from the inside? Would you take the gypsum and turn it into light and not turn it into light? Would you take the gypsum and turn it into salt? And while we're at it, why don't we make it one of those fancy Himalayan salt lamps? Say, God, make me salt. Make me light. You say that that is what I am. Would you do it? John Stott, let me finish with this, says that Christians are a marked people. The world is watching and God's major way of changing the old society is to implant within it His new society with its different values and different standards and different joys and different goals so that people see and are attracted. We are God's fifth column in this world. Indispensable salt. And light that exposes and shows not only sin but the way to God. There are people who have been salt and light to me. There are people who have been salt and light to you. God comes and says, I'm making you salt and light to the earth. And we say, Jesus, make it so. Transform us. Amen.